And here we go. Ten. Hydrogen burnoff igniters initiate. Seven. Six. Five. Four stage engines start. Three. Two. One. Boosters in ignition. And liftoff of Artemis One. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. And welcome back to Geeking with Destination Venus. And yes, if you missed it, Artemis 1 has finally launched. The great big rocket that could is on its way to the moon. All very exciting. And that's something we're not actually going to be talking about this week. We'll talk about it next week. But this week, we will be mostly focused on the astonishing experience that is Thought Bubble. I... Ah... Uh, Honestly, uh, I, I'm still, still pretty much incoherent about how fantastic the weekend was this year. But first, uh, there are a couple of sombre announcements that we need to get through. Uh, these would have been made last week, but of course it was a rerun uh, episode. So uh, we need to start by marking the passing of um, three people who have been hugely influential in my life and perhaps in yours too. The first is the comics artist Kevin O'Neill. Now, O'Neill has been around, well, forever, basically. Uh, I think his first comics work was in 2018 in the very, very early 80s, uh, which is where I first came across him. And I'm going to be honest, when... Ten-year-old me first came across the work of Kevin O'Neill. I didn't appreciate it. It's very idiosyncratic. It's very stylized. It's very spiky. It's very sharp. And I was more into the sort of more organic styles of people like Steve Dillon at the time. But as I aged, I came to appreciate the genius of Kevin O'Neill. He was decades ahead of his time in terms of style. And he was a master storyteller. Uh, he could tell a story in pictures the way few people successfully do. He had a long and distinguished career. And it, his passing is too soon. Far, far too soon. He was 69 years old. And honestly... It's been a while since I've seen any new Kevin O'Neill artwork, but his record speaks for itself. Uh, he worked on Judge Dredd. Uh, he did a lot of work for 2000 AD. Uh, Metal Zoic was one of his. He worked for, what, 20 odd years with Alan Moore on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen comics. And his style was very distinctive. It is perhaps his biggest claim to fame that uh, he was hoping, or hired actually, I think, to do some work for DC in the 1980s. And this was a time when the Comics Code Authority still held sway. And if, if the CCA didn't like your comic, you really couldn't put it out in America at that time. And the DC submitted uh, Kevin O'Neill's artwork to the CCA 
And the CCA sent it back and said, nah, you're not, we're not allowing this. You can't publish that. And so DC said, okay, well, what changes do we need to make? And the CCA said, there are no changes you could make to this artwork that would make it acceptable to us. This is the man who broke the CCA. And honestly, if th there can be for there can be no greater accolade than that, I can only imagine back then that a, a twenty-something Kev O'Neill was just laughing his socks off at that. It's it's a, a claim to fame that very few, in fact, I don't think any other artist can can claim that. And there was something shocking about his work, not because he was lurid, uh, as the New York Times said last week, but because it was so different and so distinctive and so uncompromising uh so yeah his loss is a genuine one and yeah our our condolences go to all of his friends and family uh, and to the wider comics community who have lost a real star and unfortunately kevin o'neill is not the only real star that we have lost also Last week, we lost the artist. Uh, now, I've only ever seen his name written down. I don't know if it's Pacquio or Pacheo, uh, but he was a, a comics artist. Uh, he drew Avengers Forever. He drew um, the X-Men. Uh, he did work for Marvel and DC. And he left us uh, last week. Uh, unfortunately, he'd been, he'd been suffering from um, the neurodegenerative disease uh ALS, uh, what we call motor neuron disease in the UK. Uh, and he was just 60 years old. Uh, he's been working in comics uh, across the world, but particularly in US comics since the 90s. And his style was just fantastic. Uh, just and very, very recently, uh, he did the comic, uh, the, the cover for the comic Damage Control Issue 2, uh, which he tweeted and said was his last piece I, I think you know he knew that um there was not long left uh, there have been tributes from marvel and dc dc comics uh, called him a visionary artist uh, and said that he would have a lasting impact on the on the industry and he will uh so that's a that's a, a, a tremendous blow uh, but perhaps an even bigger blow to many of us is the loss of the great voice actor Kevin Conroy. Now, you may not know who Kevin Conroy is, but you have heard his voice, I do not doubt. He was a very prolific uh, voiceover artist, notably a voiceover artist for Batman the Animated Series, for which he provided the voices of both Bruce Wayne and Batman. And I think I'm pretty sure he was the first person to make Bruce Wayne and Batman have different voices. You know, Bruce Wayne sounded like Kevin Conroy's normal speaking voice, pretty much. But when he was Batman, he was Batman. And that was remarkable in the early 90s when I first heard about it. And for a lot of people, Kevin Conroy is their definitive Batman. And I think I think maybe for me, he is the definitive voice of Batman. Uh, it, it helped him, I think, that he was placed against the amazing Mark Hamill, uh, who provided the, Joyce, the, the, the Joyce, who provided the voice of the Joker 
in Batman the Animated Series. Uh, they they were a, a, a tremendous pair, uh, it, it, and it, their, their work will stand the test of time. Conroy had also recently uh, t- made a foray into comics writing, uh, providing a short story called Finding Batman for the DC Pride anthology in 2022, in which he revealed that he was gay, which is not something I knew, and I don't think a lot of comics fans knew either. Uh, he, he was quite private, and that, of course, is his right. Uh, I, I wish he was around to write more stories, because Finding Batman is a very short story, but it was beautiful. And I'm sure that a lot of people took some inspiration from that. So there you go. That's that's three comics greats that we've lost in the space of well, about 10 days. And honestly, 2022 is not turning out to be the best year. We have lost some truly great figures from the comics community. And um, yeah, our condolences go out to all of their friends and families. We are diminished by their passing. But in all three cases, their legacies will remain for a long, long time. And beyond that, I will just say this. If people who I admire could possibly stop dying... That would be great and appreciated. Thank you. And with that, let's turn our thoughts to something more positive and more joyful. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to talk about Thought Bubble. Now, the problem with Thought Bubble is that it's very, very difficult to know exactly where to start. I could, and indeed have, gush for hours about how incredible an event it is. But it's incredible for so many different reasons. I, I, I find it hard to order my thoughts in a coherent way. So, first of all, let's just start with what Thought Bubble is and why it is so incredible that it happens in Harrogate, of all places. So, Thought Bubble is, I think, probably by some distance, the biggest pure comics convention in the country. Now, what do I mean by pure comics convention? Good question. Glad you asked. There's an awful lot of things that call themselves comic cons. And I am not in any way disparaging any of them. I love them too. But most of the things in this country that call themselves comic conventions, or worse, comic cons, they do have comics in them. But comics are not really what they're about. What they're about is geek culture, which this is a show called Geeking with Destination Venus. We are all about geek culture. And so the idea that we might meet the stars of the Marvel movies or actors who've been in Supernatural or actors who've been in one of the DC shows or actors who've been in Game of Thrones or Doctor Who. Fine. Brilliant. Bring it on! But that's not comics. Some of it is comics related, but it's not actually comics. Just as I am fine with stalls selling acres of Funko Pops and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. But that's not comics either. What Thorbubble is, is pure comics. If you ain't a comic, you ain't there. Uh, The furthest they stray from comics at Thorbubble is... They have artists who also sell posters. That's it. That's as far away from comics as you get. If you walk into Thought Bubble 
you will be met by table after table after table of independent writers and artists who make comics because they love the medium and they make comics about everything you could possibly imagine. Yes, there are superheroes. Of course, there are superheroes. That's a very, very important genre within comics. But there's also romance. There's almost, there is fantasy. There is reality. There is every genre of comic that you can imagine at Thought Bubble, and probably quite a few you didn't. Such is the diversity and variety of things to be found there. If you think comics are only about superheroes, think again. Go to Thought Bubble, and Thought Bubble will show you the scope and the depth and the range of things that can be achieved in this fantastic medium of creativity. And those independent writers and artists will be interspersed with big names. I'm talking huge names. Okay, not necessarily people that people outside of comics have heard of, but, you know, the, the comic creating equivalent of Tom Cruise or Hugh Jackman or Theron or ScarJo, the comics equivalents of those people are there. The comics equivalent of Stephen King, the comic equivalent of Picasso is going to be there. We are talking massive, massive, massive names. World class people come to this world class event. And make no mistake, Thought Bubble is a world class event. Over this weekend, I spoke with many big names in the industry, not because I'm some kind of big shot, but because I was there and so were they. And they are so approachable at Thought Bubble. I've said before, going to Thought Bubble is like being able to go to the Cannes Film Festival and find yourself at the bar with Tom Cruise. That does not happen at the Cannes Film Festival. The equivalent of that happens at this kind of comic convention. So yeah, so I got to speak to Gail Simone, the, the woman who has had the longest run of any female writer on Wonder Woman, the woman who revitalised Deadpool in the 90s, the woman who created the Birds of Prey, the good ones, not the ones in the movie, the woman who had the most legendary run on the Batgirl comic strip. And so much more. I mean, trying to trying to name Gail Simone's achievements in the comics industry is, is a fool's errand. Don't try. There's too much. And she is from Oregon. Or at least I don't know she's from there. She lives there now in the US. And she was saying how much she fell in love with Harrogate, how much she fell in love with Thought Bubble. And I heard this also from James Tinian, who is the creator of the legendary comic, Something is Killing the Children. Uh, he's also written Batman and, and just too many other things, again, to list. And he was saying, yeah, he talks to other creators in the US and they all talk about how amazing Thought Bubble is, what a great con it is to come to. That's why it's a world-class event. It attracts people from all over the world. And the big names in the industry, not because it pays them to turn up, although, yeah, I'm sure it does. I don't know how that works, but I'm fairly sure the invited guests aren't buying their own plane tickets. But they want to come. They want to come because they, they, they appreciate it as much as people like I do. More than one American creator over this weekend remarked to me that this is 
something that they regard as their end of year party. And, and yeah, I think that's accurate. I think I think I regard it as that. But if you've never been to Thought Bubble, you might be thinking, well, yeah, I hear what you say, but but why? What is the thing about Thought Bubble that makes it so attractive? And that's not necessarily an easy question to answer. Word or words that I keep coming back to are positivity and acceptance. And honestly, I think I think Fraser Campbell, who is a Scottish writer uh, and regular at Thought Bubble, probably said it best in a Twitter thread. Uh, so I'm, I'm quoting Fraser directly now. Uh, what he said was, Thought Bubble is an incredible and overwhelming experience. All that joy, that love, the vitality, the sheer concentration of luminous brilliance. It's not quite right to say it's a privilege to be accepted by this incredible community because it accepts without exception. And that, I think, is the core of it. That's the essence. It's not just the creativity. It's not just the energy. It's not just the positivity. It's the unconditional acceptance of everybody, no matter who or what they are. I have in the past talked about Thought Bubble as an incredibly tolerant space. And actually, I, the more I think about it, the more I think that's the wrong word to use. If you tolerate something, that means that it's something that you're not really keen on. You don't really like it, but you're prepared to put up with it. That's not Thought Bubble. Thought Bubble doesn't tolerate anybody because Thought Bubble just accepts. Thought Bubble loves you. And that, honestly, that is the feeling that you get when you walk through those doors. If you've been there, then you know what I mean. If you haven't, then I'm doing a really bad job of explaining it. That's as close as I can get. Thought Bubble is a hug. But more than that, it's a hug with comics added. So let's get into what I did at Thought Bubble. Right, well, my Thought Bubble weekend actually started on the Friday night. My Thought Bubble weekend always starts on the Friday night, but it normally starts on a Friday night, with me in acute stages of panic, trying to work out how I'm possibly going to get everything done that I need to get done before Thought Bubble starts. This year, I was better organised. Once I'd identified all the stock I was going to take, I'd got my, my comics boxes sorted out, I had my table coverings, I had my scissors, my tape, all the stuff that you need to get a table set up at an event like Thought Bubble ready on the Thursday night. So once I'd closed the shop on Friday evening at half past five, I meandered my way down to the exhibition centre and set up about half my table. I got the tablecloth on there. I put some boxes of comics under the, under the table so that, you know, when I pitched up first thing Saturday morning, I'd be ready to go pretty much. And then I wandered across to the Mercer Art Gallery because it was the opening night of the Ian Kennedy exhibition. Now, if you haven't seen the exhibition yet, I encourage you to go. It's running until January and it is a, a small but perfectly formed retrospective of Ian Kennedy's work. Now, Ian Kennedy is one of those people that I mentioned earlier. To me, a rock star, a movie star. To people who don't read comics, who? And... Indeed, to some people who do read comics, he's still who? Because although his career spanned seven decades, he 
concentrated on working in British comics. And I, I regret that until very, very recently. And in fact, to be honest, even now, if you work exclusively in the UK, you're probably not going to get to be that well known. So dominant is the American market. All of the British creators who are big names in comics, most of them have done the, the work that got them noticed for American publishers. And Ian Kennedy never really did that. Ian Kennedy worked mostly for the Dundee-based publisher DC Thompson, uh, best known perhaps for the Beano and the Dandy, but also for comics like um, Action and Battle, uh, the, uh, the revival of the Eagle in the early 80s, and uh, 2000 AD, back in the day. I think that might have been a Thompson. No, it was, was 2000 AD IPC. 2000 AD was maybe IPC back then. Perhaps the comic that Ian Kennedy was most associated with, best known for, was the war comic Commando, which you'll have seen. Uh, you probably read them as a kid, if you were a kid in the 80s. These were the, the little pocket-sized comics uh, that you can still get in W.H. Smith. I think W.H. Smith is about the only place to get them these days. Kennedy was a stalwart of, of Commando. Uh, he worked on and off for Commando for his entire 70-year career. Uh, and his, his final cover for Commando was not that long ago. And indeed, the exhibition features uh, his first ever artwork for Commando and his last ever artwork for Commando. They're the first things I saw as I went into the exhibition space. And the exhibition contains work from throughout his career uh, for girls comics, for uh, the, the revival of the Eagle in the early 80s, uh, from 2000 AD, from and you know the other publications that he worked for. It's quite something, actually, to see the original artwork so that you can see how it was done. You know, you can see the layers of paint. You can see the brush strokes in some of this stuff. It's all exquisite. Uh, Kennedy was an immensely talented, an immensely skilled artist. And I hope, and I know I'm not the only person who thinks this, um, I hope that the people at DC Thompson who worked with the Mercer and Thought Bubble to bring this mini retrospective to Harrogate I hope they find a bigger space and I hope they use this exhibition as the core of a major re retrospective because honestly, it would be well deserved and it would be fascinating to see. I love to see and, and you know, huge credit to the Mercer for this. I love to see comic art being given the respect that it deserves and comics artists being recognised for their skill and their dedication. Because too often, the, 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 in heavy air quotes, serious art world doesn't take comics artists seriously. In the way that, you know, the literary world doesn't take comics writers seriously all that often. So just huge kudos to the Mercer for doing this and for working so closely so often with Thought Bubble. I, I have to throw in the name of uh, the exhibition's curator, Karen Southworth, here. Her enthusiasm for the, the exhibition and for Kennedy's artwork and her almost evangelical zeal in extolling the virtues of Kennedy's work during the, uh, the opening on Friday night. 
was something to behold. And if, if you haven't been to the Mercer lately, you really should go and check it out. It is one of Harrogate's true, true cultural assets. And, you know, it, it was it was a good event as well. It's not just a great exhibition. It was a good event. It was a nice way to spend the evening. Lots of people there. Uh, lots of people from um, 2000 AD and the wider British comic scene. Uh, lots of writers and artists there just to to see what was what and take a look at the exhibition and appreciate Ian Kennedy's work. Uh, D.C. Thompson were there. Uh, Kennedy's editor from D.C. Thompson was there, as was his grandson. It was quite an emotional thing, in fact. And, you know, we, we will come back to Ian Kennedy a little bit later on. Uh, he should have been a guest at Thought Bubble this year. He was announced only a couple of days before he actually died uh, earlier this year. And, you know, I, th I think this exhibition means that he was at least here in spirit. Uh, and it was a, it was a, a great call by uh, the folks at Thought Bubble and the folks at the Mercer to pay tribute to him in this way. So that's how we got kicked off. And then, of course, suddenly it was Saturday. And like all exhibitors, I was down there early on the Saturday to make sure my table was completely set up. And if I'm honest, uh, also to have a quick nosy around the halls before the public were allowed in. It's one of the perks of being an, an, an exhibitor. Uh, and that meant I was able to get a copy of the new Zoe Thorogood graphic novel, It's Lonely at the Centre of the Earth, which Zoe Thorogood was uh, kind enough to sign for me. So that was great. I'm really glad I did that first thing before before the public arrived because she sold out very quickly. It's a very, very good book. I actually don't have any in stock at Destination Venus at the moment. I am trying to get them in, but I think it's sold out at publisher level now. And so we might have to wait for a reprint. And although we got off to a fairly slow start, it was a busy, busy Saturday. I did manage to get out from behind the table every so often. Thanks to Steve from The Geek Pub Quiz who came down and gave me a hand on Saturday so that I could actually get out and see people and do stuff. So I was able to go out and get autographs. I, I got Gail Simone to sign some stuff on the Saturday. I got James Tinian and Casper Wingard to sign some stuff on Saturday. I, it was good. It was just a, a really fun, positive experience. It was great sort of chatting to people, talking to customers, and also meeting friends. Part of the nature of comics is that it is a community. And if you go to cons for long enough, and I've been doing cons now for almost actually exactly 30 years. Wow. Yeah, exactly 30 years. And we'll, we'll come to that again in a minute as well. But my first comics convention was the UK Comic Art Convention in London in 1992. So, yeah, almost exactly 30 years. That means I have friends that I have known at these conventions. Who I only see at conventions. So, you know, it's great to get out and around the halls um, and see them and see what they're doing, their tables, their art, their comics. Also, just to soak up the atmosphere itself. I've spoken at length already about how positive and joyful it is. I'm not, I'm not going to bang on about that. But there is something about walking the halls. You get to see things. I mean, first up, the cosplayers. Now, I, I never used to see the point of cosplay. And I used to find cosplayers not annoying. Annoying is the wrong word, but superfluous might be it. And I don't know what I was thinking, because to look at cosplay now, 
it is such a creative thing. So much effort and so much skill goes into creating those costumes and coming up with the costume ideas. It used to be cosplayers at comic conventions would just dress up as a character. And yeah, and some still do that, and that's absolutely fine. But you also then get people doing twists and variants. So, you know, maybe a steampunk Batman. Uh, I did see at the convention this year a steampunk Britsit judge from 2000 AD, and it was fabulous. So you get all that kind of thing. And then, of course, you get the screen-accurate stormtroopers and Darth Vaders and all of that kind of thing. And all of that is great. To see to see those people just wandering around, bringing so much joy and excitement to the people that see them, you know, stopping to get photographs taken, all of that. You get to soak that in, and you also get to see things that you've never heard of before. Comics that, that, that don't make it into the sort of major comics catalogues. Comics that are put together by people working, you know, in their spare time, working in evenings in, in, at their dining room tables and in their, in their bedrooms. And they're producing comics that are every bit as good and have production values that are every bit as high as, you know, the, the marbles and the DCs and the images of the world. That, that too is something that, you realise when you go to somewhere like Thought Bubble that now with printing technology and stuff being what it is, anybody can make a comic that looks as good as something that Marvel would put out. It used to be that self-published comics were very much, you know, the kind of thing you would get. There'd be A5, uh, you know, made a folded A4 that was photocopied on the office photocopier when the manager wasn't looking. Now, you know, you've got like really high quality grade paper for the for the pages you've got glossy covers you've got full color throughout if that's what the artist wants to do and yeah maybe they've only got print runs in the hundreds rather than the thousands but it's still great great work and it's the sort of thing you can only really find at places like thought bubble because where else do creators get to display stuff like that. It might be in their local comic shop, but if you don't happen to shop at their local comic shop, you're never going to see it. And at this point, I have to use the D word again. There is so much diversity in the comics that you will find at Thought Bubble. Now, diversity is something that's happening in comics in general, in a way that it hasn't until the last sort of decade or so. You know, you will now find comics published by, well, particularly by Image and Vault and Aftershock, but also at Marvel and DC that celebrate cultures that are not necessarily mainstream. Uh, you've got, uh, I mean, you spend any time in the halls at Thought Bubble uh, and you will see many pride flags, many trans flags, and though any amount of comics dealing with the stories of those communities, you will find comics that are rooted in ethnicities that are not what the census would call white British. And this is really important to say, not in any kind of box-ticking tokenistic way, but just because they exist and they are there and they want to share their work. And that is such a wonderful thing. Being able to experience the stories from people who are not like you, 
is such an amazing thing, such a mind-broadening thing. And it's something that Thought Bubble is very, very good at promoting. Again, I can't stress this enough. Not out of any desire to be woke or politically correct, but just because the work is good. Yeah, it's not actually that easy to get into Thought Bubble. Not anyone can have a table. They are oversubscribed every year. And who gets to have a table is very carefully curated. They turn away literally hundreds of really good, talented, skilled people every year. So you can be sure that Thought Bubble has no need to box tick. It has no need at all to be tokenistic. If you've got a table at Thought Bubble, it's because you are good. And so whether the work is written by cisgendered, heterosexual white males like me, or trans women or trans men or people of colour, you know that if it's made it to Thought Bubble, that work is good. More than anything, Thought Bubble cares about stories and quality stories. And the power of people being able to tell their story their way. And I've got an example of that, something that I'm very, very proud to support. In fact, I don't have time to talk about every fantastic comic that I saw at Thought Bubble last weekend. So I'm going to focus on just one. And I'm going to focus on this comic because it's not just good. It's something that I think pretty much epitomises what Thought Bubble is all about. That comic is Coming Home, published by the Welsh mental health charity Relive. What Relive does is help people process their trauma by telling their story. Now, as I understand it, the way they would normally do this is through theatre. But the Coming Home project kind of coincided with lockdown, uh, when obviously doing stuff in theatre was not really an option, not only because you couldn't have people come to see it at the theatre, but you couldn't meet up to rehearse or, or, or improvise or do any of that stuff. So they hit on the idea of telling stories in comic form. I'm not quite sure whose idea that was, but it was a good one. So Coming Home is an anthology comic featuring stories from British veterans of the armed services. These people are telling their stories as a way of processing, you know, what they experienced in the military and the effect that it's had on their lives since. So there's a story from a guy who was in the Royal Marines. He was deployed to Iraq back when you know Operation Desert Storm was happening. And you might think that the trauma he suffered would be in battle, that it would be about people getting blown up or shot or, or that kind of thing. But no. Now, he tells the story of being deployed to a small Kurdish village uh, on you know towards the Turkish border and of the friendships he made there and the acceptance that he found amongst the people there and the ways that he and his mates found to help those people. And his trauma was being told to leave when the British army withdrew. He, his trauma comes from feeling that They'd only done half a job. They hadn't properly protected the people. 
and that they left the people very much in the lurch. And it's clear from reading his story that he has you know, real difficulties coping with the reality of that. Uh, there's a story uh, from a guy who I met. Uh, I'm going to call him Stan because that's what he's called in the comic. That's not his real name. I'm assuming that all of the contributors to Coming Home, um, or at least the storytelling contributors, uh, were writing under assumed names. Uh, Stan certainly was. Uh, he was a bandsman and therefore a stretcher bearer in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, he was deployed to Northern Ireland and he saw some traumatic things there that have clearly haunted him for 40 odd years. And being able to tell his story was clearly something that he really, really valued. I, I, I spoke to, to, to this guy for, for quite some time. Uh, he was at the uh, Ian Kennedy exhibition on the Friday night. And I also spoke to him over the weekend. And such an interesting and gentle soul to have been thrown into what was a very bloody situation. Uh, his story is partly what happened to him on that on the night of the event that's caused him the trauma that he has, um, but also. It, it, it begins to explore how he began to try and come to terms with it actually quite late in life. It's very clear that he has you know, suffered enormously as a result of the events that he, he was part of. And it was you know, genuinely quite emotional for me to talk to him about it and to, to see how comics were helping him process all of that and you know, start to address it at least. And yeah, you know, the whole of coming home really struck me. I, I, as I may have mentioned before, I, I have something of a background in mental health, uh, both as a sufferer and a volunteer for a mental health charity. And honestly, the power for good that this comic has had—I really can't overstate it. Just just talking to to Stan um, and seeing the effect, the positive effect that being involved in this project has had on him. Uh, and also, I have to say, the effect that comics in general have had on the organisers of Coming Home, the actual, you know, the, the people who work for, for Relive. Um, I, I spent quite a long time talking to two of those guys uh, as well, and they were blown away by Thought Bubble. And its positivity and its acceptance of people, you know, whatever their issues, you know, people with mental ill health, people who are neurodivergent, uh, people of all genders and sexuality. You know, I think I don't know what they'd expected of Thought Bubble, but certainly not only were their expectations exceeded, but their minds were genuinely and well and truly blown. So, you know, it. Talking to the, the Relive people uh, was such a positive experience. Um, and also somehow it it brought the um, the Thought Bubble experience to me kind of kind of full circle. Because one of the things about coming home is it's that it has a cover by Ian Kennedy. Uh, it's a very good cover, uh, it's very expressive. 
I, I don't know what the brief that they gave to Ian Kennedy was, but you know it, it, it fully captures the, um, the the theme of of sort of quiet, understated trauma that the stories are about. It was also the last professional work that Ian Kennedy completed before his death, and you know that that is kind of touching. As I say, Ian Kennedy should have been a guest at Thought Bubble this year. Uh, the exhibition means he was here in spirit, but also I think the cover of Coming Home made him, you know, properly a solid part of the weekend. Uh, they have actually, uh, with the permission of the Kennedy estate, Relive have uh, produced a, a glossy print of the cover, uh, which they're selling uh, to fund the production of another edition of Coming Home that would enable other people to tell their stories. If you were not at Thought Bubble over the weekend, what were you thinking? But if you were not, uh, we do have copies of Coming Home for sale at Destination Venus. It actually officially was published on Wednesday this week. And um, we have decided we were going to donate all profits from the sale of Coming Home to the Real of Charity. Uh, I think we're just going to donate all proceeds now uh, because that's how impressed I was. Uh, and so um, I'm not doing like Comics of the Week this week, but consider Coming Home our Comic of the Week this week. Uh, it is genuinely, it's, it's not an easy read. But it's an important one, and it's a genuinely moving one. Um, as I say, there's the, the story of the Marine who didn't feel he'd completed his job in Iraq, uh, Stretcher Bearer Stan in Northern Ireland. Uh, there's a story from a young female officer and the uh, sexual harassment that she had to deal with uh, is, is in there. And I really do genuinely put put that comic forward as as something that really does represent everything that's good about Thought Bubble, the acceptance, the the care, the love, the thoughtfulness, and the importance of story. It's all wrapped up in those twenty odd pages. And truly, I mean, we have barely scratched the surface of Thought Bubble here. So let's let's just consider a bit more the community and the communities that form around Thought Bubble. Now, I did not go to the mid-convention party because I am 51 years old and I didn't do that sort of thing when I was in my 20s. But the Thought Bubble Midcon party is a thing of absolute legend. And if you hang around on comics Twitter, as I do, and I recommend that you do too, for as long as such a beast exists, you will have seen the many, many photographs of the gents' toilets at the Majestic Hotel, which for some reason have become... Not a, not a running gag, but certainly being impressed by them is a running tradition at Thought Bubble now. I, I, I don't know why. They are quite posh, I suppose. But the Midcom Party is a thing of legend for many, many reasons. First of all, there is much drinking. Uh, there is much music. There is much dancing. And there is much meeting of people. You know, the, the, the pros, the big rock star names, they go to the Midcom Party. If you want, you can buy them a drink. They might even buy you one if you're really lucky. And as I've said earlier, the, the, the idea that you can go to a convention like Thought Bubble and rub shoulders with the guy that's writing Batman right now, that you can stand next to the bloke who's drawing Batman right now 
or the woman who has produced what I think is the best comic of the year. You can do that. It's 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 astonishing the level of accessibility that you have. And a good time is certainly had by all at the Midcom party. I, I may one day, perhaps if I'm going as a punter, I might uh, I'm, I might brave the Midcom party one last time. But the reason I don't now, apart from the fact that, you know, Strictly Come Dancing isn't going to watch itself. Also, you can see the side effects of the Midcom party if you attend Thought Bubble on a Sunday morning. Because quite a lot of people don't make it to their tables by 10 o'clock when the doors open. And when they do make it to their tables, they may be a little blurry eyed and, shall we say, tired looking or in several cases, still drunk. This, I have to say, has been a feature of British comic conventions since long before Thought Bubble was even thought of. And it remains one. And it's always amusing to see, I have to say as somebody who is generally bright-eyed and perky on the Sunday morning of a convention, other people's hangovers will never cease to be funny, I'm afraid. I'm sorry, that makes me a bad person. What can I tell you? Uh, But Sunday was also a great day. You would sort of imagine that Saturdays would be busy and Sundays would not, but that's not true. Sundays do, partly as a result of the Midcon party, take a little longer than Saturdays to get going. But once they do, well... Every bit as busy, every bit as exciting. Uh, This Thought Bubble Sunday, I spent some time in queues to get things signed. Uh, I was able to do this because of the wonderful Alice Murphy, who is, of course, the other person that works at Destination Venus. Uh, She came and gave up her Sunday so that I, well, so that I could get out from behind my table, but also so that she she could get a look around Thought Bubble. Uh, It was, I think, only a second T-Bubs, and uh, Alice, I think I can say speak on her behalf, was just as impressed as last time. So yeah, so Sunday, Sunday for me is always a day of picking up stock, uh, trying to persuade uh, independent creators to let me carry their book at the lowest possible price I can, I can squeeze, whilst trying to also be respectful of the work and money and investment that they put into it. I picked up some great things. Um, John Repian's Gawain and, and the Green Knight, for example. He's now in stock at Destination Venus. Uh, it's an epic Arthurian tale. It's gorgeous to look at. Uh, we also have uh, the very kid-friendly Ella Upgraded, which is the story of the girl with the computer game brain, which I picked up from my old mate Dan Whitehead. And then yeah, a few other bits and pieces of stock uh, that, I, that I managed to put together, including, and I'm very pleased with this, uh, Tripwire's 30th anniversary hardcover. Now, Tripwire is a magazine that you don't see very often in newsagents. Uh, it's about comics, and it's been going for 30 years. And I know that because a long time ago, at my very first convention, which, as I said, the UK Comic Art Convention, or UCAC, in 1992, there was an event called the 2000 AD Lovin. This is an event that lives in legend and the memory of all the people who were privileged enough to be there. It's by far my favourite comic going, Comic-Con going experience ever. And what the 2000 AD Lovin' was, well, it was billed as a panel of 2000 AD contributing writers and artists talking about 2000 AD, 
which is the galaxy's greatest comic. And so me and my best mate, Andrea, we went into the uh, London University lecture auditorium where the panel was being held uh, and sat with you know a bunch of other people. There were about 60, 70 people there, maybe. Uh, and onto the stage walked Grant Morrison and Garth Ennis, both of whom were doing work for 2080 at the time, uh, both of whom are now massive stars in comics. Garth Ennis was responsible, amongst other things, for creating The Boys, which you may have seen on Amazon Prime. They walked on stage and Garth Ennis said something along the lines of, I don't know what you're all doing sitting up there, but I can't be dealing with this separation of audience and author. So get yourselves on, get yourselves down here. So we all ended up, the whole audience ended up sitting on the stage with some of the people who were the greatest comics luminaries of their day. In addition to Grant Morrison and Garth Ennis, I can't remember who exactly who else was there. Uh, Jill Thompson certainly was because I spent quite some time talking to her. Uh, she was drawing Sandman at the time, I think. Uh, and it was extraordinary. They were passing around bottles of champagne and we were, you, you can tell it's just 30 years ago and well before COVID, we were all swigging out of bottles of champagne that we were passing around. And for some reason, the only food they had to eat was Smarties. It, it was an extraordinary and bizarre event. And honestly, if I hadn't been there and if I didn't know all the people who were there, I would be thinking that either somebody had made it up or I'd dreamt it. It was astonishing. Uh, the reason I'm bringing it up now is because one of the things that happened to me at the 2008 Lovin' was the two very nice young men uh, sold me a copy of Tripwire issue one because it had just come out. And Tripwire this weekend was celebrating its 30th anniversary. They have a an anthology sort of hardcover retrospective booky thing. I, I'm saying that because I haven't read my copy yet. Uh, and it was great to see that same nice young man now in his 50s, just like what I am. Reminisce about, you know, conventions gone by, um, of, of thought bubbles past. And, yeah, to look to the future a little bit as well. It's, it's, it's that sense of, of meeting old mates that is one of the attractions of Thought Bubble. That sense of community really is completely tangible. Oh, there is so much more to say, but honestly, we are running out of time. So I'm going to start wrapping up. Uh, I want to say, first of all, a massive, massive thank you to every single person who came to Thought Bubble this year. A convention is nothing without its attendees. And that that sense of joy and tolerance and acceptance and creativity and positivity that permeates every inch of Thought Bubble would disappear very, very quickly indeed if the people who came were not nice. Thank you, all of you. And thank you to all the exhibitors who come to Harrogate every year and bring that positivity with them. And a huge thank you to the organisers who do such an astonishing job of putting this together. I've organised events in my time. I know how difficult it is to produce something on this scale, involving people from so many different countries, organising visas and travel and hotels and working out how many tables you can fit into each hall 
and sorting out the layout and figuring out who gets to go next to who. It's an immense feat of organisation and logistics, and I cannot praise the organisers of Thought Bubble enough. They do such an incredible job. It's not even a big team of people. They do such an incredible job, and they keep doing it. It's it's almost trite now to say that every year Thought Bubble is better than the year before, but it's still true. And that can only be the result of the incredible hard work of the organisers. But most of all, I want to thank the Red Shirts. The Red Shirts are the volunteers who do everything at Thought Bubble. If you need help unloading your car, they'll help you. If you need to find somebody, they'll take you to them. If you need someone to watch your stand while you go and do something else, they'll do that. If you can't leave your table because you've got a massive queue because you're signing, but you're hungry and you haven't eaten since breakfast time and it's now three in the afternoon, they will bring you coffee and a sandwich. Whatever it is you need, the Red Shirts will do it. This is a vast army of people. Well, it seems like a vast army. There's probably about 70 or 80 of them. It's a, it's a group of people who all love comics and all love Thought Bubble and, in effect, give up their weekend and don't get to do Thought Bubble particularly so that the people that are going to Thought Bubble can have a better experience. They are the beating heart and the living soul of what Thought Bubble is all about. And they're amazing. They really are. And so is Thought Bubble. I'm a fan, as you can probably tell. But Thought Bubble is, truly, truly is, the beating heart and living soul of British comics. All kinds of British comics. From the, you know, the published stuff, from, from you know, your 2000 ADs and all of that malarkey, right the way down to teenagers who are trying to get their ideas onto paper and who are sort of, you know, drawing out stuff in their bedrooms uh, and in their school libraries and all points in between. Not, it's not just an event. It's a state of mind. It's a way of thinking. It's a way of being. It's impossible to explain without sounding like an idealistic fool, which I know I do sound like an idealistic fool. But it really is that good. It really is that positive. Bubble is the reason why for two days in every year, a small part of Harrogate becomes the most diverse, the most dynamic and the most creative place on earth. And that Thought Bubble does that for my little town makes me so, so happy and proud and grateful. Some of you might be listening now thinking that I'm going over the top, thinking that this is pure hyperbole. But it isn't. I promise you it isn't. And the only way you can really understand is by experience. Thought Bubble will be back in November 2023. If you were not there this year, I can only suggest you get your tickets early, 
and you make sure that you don't miss out again. There simply is nothing better. Okay, we are very, very nearly out of time. I could go on. I really could go on at a great deal more length about how good Thought Bubble is as a thing, how much fun I had this year. But honestly, I think you might have got the picture by now. So very, very quickly, uh, we will take a quick look at the Geek Community Notice Board. Uh, and I can tell you that things that are highlighted on there are Thought Bubble related. First up, we have the Shadow Self, the Tula Lote exhibition at the Corn Exchange in Leeds, which runs until the 20th of November. So you've got limited time to see that now. Uh, and then we have the Art of Ian Kennedy at the Mercer Art Gallery, which runs until the 8th of January. So you have a little bit more time to check that out. Both, I cannot recommend highly enough. They are brilliant, brilliant art exhibitions. And this coming Sunday, the uh, 21st, we have the Geek Pub Quiz at Major Tom Social, the original and the best Geek Pub Quiz, hosted by the brilliant Steve, Helen and Chris. That will be kicking off at 7.30. You might want to get there a little bit sooner than that. Great night out, fantastic prizes, good fun. What more do you want? Movies? Well, since you ask, next Thursday, which I think might be the... I've lost count of what number that is. Um, you, but it's the Geeky Movie Quiz at the Everyman Cinema. Uh, hosted again by Steve and Helen. And again, a great night out. Great questions. Great prizes. Uh, just just the whole nine yards of fun. So check those out. And that is about all we have time for. If you have a geeky event that you would like me to plug, please just email info at destinationvenus.co dot uk no charge i'll plug anything so long as it's geeky and not offensive it's that same email address info at destinationvenus.co.uk if you want to make some suggestions for things we can cover on the show if you've got any comments about things we have covered about the show if you've got comments or criticisms or advice or plaudits or whatever info at destinationvenus.co.uk is the place to send all of that stuff and that Ladies and gentlemen, it's pretty much all we have got time for. We will be back next week, hopefully. I will finally get around to talking about Andor. We will, of course, be talking about what's going on with the Artemis 1 mission and other various space and science-related happenings. We will have another wonderful woman of science and all the geeky news, views and reviews that you could possibly eat. That's all next week. Until then, be kind to yourself, be kind to everybody else, stay safe, and above all else, stay geeky. We will leave you with the sound of Artemis 1. Four stage engines start. Three, two, one. Boosters in ignition. And liftoff of Artemis 1. We rise together back to the moon and beyond. solid rocket boosters now propelling the vehicle at 128 miles per hour. Hearing good, con good control on the roll from teams in Mission Control Houston. All good calls so far. Now 30 seconds into the flight of Artemis 1. 
first milestone will be forward the vehicle to pass through max Q at about one minute and nine seconds into launch. This is the greatest period of atmospheric force on the rocket.